that you would bring us to the knowledge of your presence in this place as your word goes out, that you would inhabit it, God, and that you would enable us to do it. And so give us wisdom, give us understanding, and give us the ability, Father, to follow through in obedience. And so we just lift up tonight, pray once again, Lord, that you would meet your people through your word, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you turn and greet your neighbor. Greetings. Go ahead and turn your Bible to 2 Chronicles, chapter 25. King Amaziah and King Uzziah will be looking at their lives today and the lessons that the Bible has for us through those lives, through those kings and the choices and decisions that they made, and really two good men who who just weren't perfect in the sight of God. They did good in the sight of God, but they had their failures, as we all do. And again, these things are given to us for our learning, that we would understand and know that as those before us, how they pleased the Lord and how they dishonored the Lord. The Apostle Paul, I believe in the concepts that we see in Chronicles, was very concerned about how he and others would finish their Christian lives. He understood the priority of a person who runs a race. Well, the priority is in the finishing and not just in the starting. Matter of fact, the finishing, that's the one whom you recognize as a winner. And he compared that to our Christian faith. And we see in our Christian faith that the priority is in the finishing and not in the starting. We must start, but we also must run well. But it has to accumulate in a good finish as we stretch forward towards that finish line. Now, three important things in running a race is keeping the rules. You have to stay within your lane. Running well, giving your all as you're running that race. And then finishing with all of your might to stretch forward across that finish line. Keeping in mind that cheaters, sluggards, and quitters are shameful and they're not respected. And so the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy, this is the last chapter of the last epistle that he will write He had that in mind. In chapter 4, verses 1 through 8, he says, I charge you, so he's giving some parting instruction to this young pastor. He says, I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, convince, exhort, rebuke, with all long-suffering and teaching, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. Sounds a lot like our society today. But then in verse 5 he says, But you, be watchful in all things, endure, the affl- endure afflictions, do the work of evangelists, fulfill your ministry. So he's telling them to run well and to run well throughout your life. Bring your ministry to its fullest. Verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. A drink offering was the last offering of a sacrifice. And Paul's recognizing that this is the end. And he says, the time of my departure is at hand. The idea is a ship that is shoving off from port. Verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. That would be the crown that goes to the winner of a race, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who loved his appearing. So again, keeping in mind that the Old Testament that we are studying tonight is the Old Testament that the Apostle Paul had as well. In 2 Timothy 4.13, he'll tell Timothy, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus at Troas when you come, and the book, and especially the parchments. More than likely, parchments were the Holy Scriptures. And so again, these kings that we study their lives, Paul seen where they fail. Even good kings who did what was right in the sight of God, at the end of their lives, a lot of them, and we'll see two examples here tonight, they veered off from God's straight path. They either went to the right or to the left, But unfortunately, so many times what stands out rather than a person's success is his failure. So this tells me for our purposes tonight, Paul was well aware of how these kings finished in their walk with the Lord and the ends of their lives. 
Even kings with the best testimonies did not do so well. God always allows a thorn in the flesh to remind us of the grace that we need, and that's really what we have to see with these kings is the grace of God that in the Bible they would be told, their testimony would be said, and they did what was right in the sight of God. So last week it was Joash, a king of Judah, who, well, we saw in chapter 24, started off so well. In verse 2 of chapter 24, Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And we looked at that. There was a little qualifier there. He did what was right in the sight of the Lord all the days of Jehoiada the priest. And so that tells me that his life was predicated upon somebody else and not a personal relationship. We saw in verses 15 through 16 where Jehoiada the priest died, and then in verse 17 through 18, now after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Therefore they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers and served wooden images and idols, and wrath came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespasses. And then we saw that God sent the prophets. Even Jehoiada's son came and spoke the word of God to this king and gave him words of warning. But not only did he ignore it, but he killed the man as well. To kill the prophet is to kill off the voice of the Lord in your life. And so what happens when we're disobedient to God's word? He raises his voice by sending the prophet. What happens when you kill off the prophet? He raises his voice once again by sending a sword against the land. Syria came and invaded the land and was even able to take away some of the holy things and take away some of the things in the king's palace. And the king still ignored the Lord. And then the Lord sent assassins and King Joash, he was murdered. Now we enter into chapter 25, the reign of Amaziah, Joash's son. It says in verse 1, Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jehoiadadan of Jerusalem, and he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. What does it mean to, to do what was right in the sight of the Lord, but with not a loyal heart? That means to not finish well, to not finish well, to not have a loyalty to God's word and what God's desires are. And so King Amaziah started out well, but did not finish well. He's a good king who did not take care of the details of his kingdom. He did a lot right, but was neglectful in certain areas. In 2 Kings chapter 14, verse 4, which is a parallel account of this king's life, it says, however, the high places, the places of worshiping false gods, were not taken away, and the people still sacrificed and burnt incense on the high places. Verses 3 and 4, back in chapter 25, Now it happened, as soon as the kingdom was established for him, that he executed his servants who had murdered his father, the king. However, he did not execute the children, but did as it is written in the law of the book of Moses, where the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall the children be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall die for his own sin." And so keep it in mind, we've seen it many times. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 17, we're told when Israel appoints a king that that king is to write out the law. And so King Amaziah, at some point, he should have written out the first five books of the Bible, at least Deuteronomy. And as he wrote those things out, he would be well aware of what was said in the law, and it would be that which he would need to apply to his life. And apparently he read Deuteronomy 24, 16, Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor shall children to be put to death for their fathers, but a person shall be put to death for their own sin. And so he followed through. He was a man who followed God's word and ruling God's people but a background reminder to put what is happening in proper perspective. Now he's got an issue that has come before him. He, he did well in following the word of God when it came to deal with these assassins. In the sight of God, these assassins had to be dealt with. They committed murder, and the penalty for murder was death, so he did that. But again, kept it in proper perspective, did not kill their children. But now we've got another situation that is before him. See, King David had conquered Edom and put them under tribute. 
Earlier we saw where Edom had rebelled. We see this in chapter 8 of 2 Kings. And as they did, they freed themselves from the tribute that they were to pay Judah. Now tribute, that would be like taxes. What you would do back then, you would conquer a nation. As you conquered that nation, you would give them terms. And part of the terms is you give us, and just to use an example, you give us a million dollars a year and you be under our direction and everything will be fine between us. Well, Edom would pay that amount of money, whatever it was established. But after a while, they got tired of paying that, and they rebelled, and they said, we weren't going to do it anymore. Matter of fact, they would even attack the outlying cities and settlements of Judah. So Amaziah, he's attempting to restore Judah to, uh, I'm sorry, Edom to Judah's control and stop the Sortes in the territory and bring peace to the border cities. So this king is attempting to do a good thing But the problem is he goes about it in a bad manner. Now, again, when he put to death the assassins, for him to bring justice for that was a good thing, and he went about it in a good manner. But now here's a a bad example. And really a good gauge of your Christian life, those who are born again here, a good gauge is how I integrate God's word into my life and into the decisions that I make. Do I season the decisions that I make with my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Am I able to trust in him in the hard things and in the difficult decisions that I need to make? Am I willing to trust in God in my marriage? Am I willing to trust in God in my raising up of my children and my job? And again, how I conduct my life, the magnitude to which I will do that is a display to me of my trust in God. And so we see King Amaziah he makes some fleshly choices that revealed some spiritual weaknesses in his life, and they're not going to be a good thing. So in this section, we're going to look, the remainder of this chapter, before we get to chapter 26, we're going to see three things that will eventually lead to his downfall. So the first thing that we see is a bad decision that he makes. So again, I'm assuming the decision to attack Edom was of the Lord because God gave instruction how it was to be properly done. And so the big problem here is, well, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we see, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So in preparation for the battle, the king does something wise. He, he numbers his troops. He takes his census, and he finds that God has given him 300,000 men for battle. And so this is what God gives him. This should be enough. If you had faith in God, strong faith in God, then you would realize that God does great things through little things. As you would look at the history of Israel, you'd see throughout that history, he has done it. As you look at the church, you'd see that God does great things through little things throughout the history of the church. We see the 12 apostles and God set the world upside down through these men who were little things, insignificant, but God filled them with the Spirit, his Spirit, and did great things. But instead of trusting in what God had given him, this king goes off and he hires 100,000 men from the northern country of Israel. That was that the kingdom was divided and this northern kingdom, well, it was a very idolatrous kingdom, did not have a heart for the Lord or the things of the Lord. And so he kind of shores himself up with an extra 100,000 guys. But the problem is they're from idolatrous Israel. But before he goes off to war, God sends a prophet with a warning. Once again, what does God do? If you're not trusting in God, he raises his voice. He raises his voice through his word. He raises his voice, in this case, by the sending of a prophet. Verse 5, Moreover, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds, according to their father's houses throughout all Judah and Benjamin. And he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found them to be 300,000 choice men able to go to war who could handle spear and shield. He also hired 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. But a man of God, this would be a prophet, but a man of God came to him saying, O king, do not let the army of Israel go with you for the Lord is not with Israel, not with any of the children of Ephraim. Ephraim was was speaking of the whole northern kingdom. Verse 8, But if you go, be gone, be strong in battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before the enemy, for God has power to help and God has power to overthrow. 
we're able to do all things through Christ who strengthens us. Verse 9, Then Amaziah said to the man of God, But what shall we do about the hundred talents which I gave to the troops of Israel? And the man of God answered, The Lord is able to give you much more than this. So Amaziah discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim to go back home. Therefore their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. Why would they be angry because of that? Because they're thinking, okay, we go to war, we emerge victorious, and we get the spoil from those whom we defeat. And so there was the money given. They were paid to do this, but they were thinking about so much more. Verse 11, then Amaziah strengthened himself, and leading the people, he went to the Valley of Salt and killed 10,000 of the people of Seir, or Edom. Also the children of Judah took captive 10,000 alive, brought them to the top of the rock, and cast them down from the top of the rock, so that they were all dashed in pieces. But as for the soldiers of the army which Amaziah had discharged, so that they would not go with him to battle, they raided the cities of Judah from Samaria to Beth Haran and killed 3,000 in them and took much spoil." And so, because he was disobedient, he brought these, these men into his camp. But when he discharged them, they didn't just leave. They caused much damage to his surrounding cities and to these lives as well. So this king makes a bad decision. It's not that he just made a bad decision, but his decision was based upon a lack of trust in the Lord. Next, secondly, he goes even worse than that. He makes a fatal decision verses 14 through 24. It says in verse 14, Now it was so after Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites that he brought the gods of the people of Seir and set them up to be his gods and bowed down before them and burned incense to them. Therefore the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah and he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from your hand? So it was as he talked with him that the king said to him, Have we made you, or yes, have we made you the king's counselor? Cease, why should you be killed? Then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this and have not heeded my advice. He goes off on, and God has given him direction. So he knows that he went off to attack Edom. God was in it. He had made a bad decision, and he paid consequences for that. But the only thing worse than a bad decision is by compounding it by a worse decision. And that's what he does here, is he goes off and he defeats the Edomites. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but he takes his gods. And he sets his gods up in place of the living God, the gods of Edom. He puts them in place of the living God. And he's worshiping him. And the prophet is saying, those gods could do nothing for the people that depended upon them when you came to attack. What in the world do you think they're going to do for you? How does that equate to our Christian lives? We can so easily go back to the world or even go back to our own selves and trust in our abilities and trust what we're able to do. Well, for a lot of us, we became aware of the kingdom of God when we became aware of our failures and our shortcomings. God brought us to a certain point of our weakness that we saw his strength and the necessity for a relationship with him. And as we did so, we submitted ourselves to his, life, or to his will. But the problem is, after a period of time, and God has blessed us, and God's watched over us, and God has kept us, and God has strengthened us, and he has grown us, he's looked over us, times of trials, and so on and so forth. But then, we, we lose faith at times. And, and we lose faith when we're no longer able to trust on that which we can't see, and we revert back to that which we do see. And for some reason, King Amaziah, that's exactly what he did. And you see how foolish that, that totally is as he trusts in these dead idols that couldn't do anything for the people from which he got them from. And so he becomes prideful in verses 17 through 24. He chooses on Israel, probably upset for the 100,000 men and what they did to his kingdom. And he he goes and he challenges the king to battle. The king tries to blow him off of the northern kingdom, but he would have none of it. And so they attack, and Judah is roundly defeated. It's his fatal decision that he has turned a temporary victory into a long-term defeat. We need to see again how these things play out in our lives. James said in James chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, 
adulterers and adulteresses, and the idea is those who go after other gods. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. God wants us and he wants our whole heart. He wants us wholeheartedly. He wants us to be all in. He wants us to trust in him for every step. King Ahaz, well, the battle, obviously, it was of the Lord because God brought the victory. But he should have trusted in God all the way down. Because he didn't trust, people had to pay a price. Because of his lack of faith as a leader of God's people, good people got hurt. And then he compounds it as he forsakes the Lord and he goes after the idols of the world. But again, the idols of the world could never do anything for those people who were of the world. And we see how people of the world, well, you look at people who seem to have it all. You look at people who seem to have achieved and acquired all that anybody could want. And in the end, they seem to be the most miserable people because you cannot find contentment in riches. You can't, confine, you can't find contentment in relationships. You can't find contentment in things and stuff. You can only find a contentment in the Lord and a relationship with the Lord. That's how somebody can go through hardship. That's how somebody can find loneliness, but still find contentment in the midst of it as they develop their relationship with Jesus Christ, as they have faith in him and they have faith that they exercise, that they apply to their lives. This man didn't do it and it brought about his demise. And now we see the results of his decision. Thirdly, in verses 25 through 28, Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Keeping in mind, and this is the confusing part, you can go on Google and type in timeline of the kings of uh, Judah and Israel. You can compare who was king at what time and the king of the north with the king of the south because the confusing thing is a lot of them have, they're different people, but have the same names. And so you always have to keep that in mind when you're looking at the, especially in Chronicles, because we're just looking for the most part at the kings of the southern kingdom. But in verse 25, Amaziah, the son of Joash, the king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoahaz, king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah from first to last indeed, are they not written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel? After the time of Amaziah turned away from following the Lord, they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem and he fled to Lachish, but they sent after him to Lachish and killed him there. Then they brought him on horses and buried him with his fathers in the city of Judah. And a common scripture that we have been, at least I have been mentioning as we've been going through these kingdoms, once again, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, the wages of sin are death. And we see how that serves out. And so we see an interesting reality here. If you serve God, you'll need to die to your pride, but in doing so, he'll strengthen you. And as kings sought after the Lord and they were obedient and had faith in God, God strengthened them. If you humble yourself on the side of the Lord, then he will lift you up. But if you serve that which is not of the Lord, you'll become prideful and you'll fall and you'll fail. Proverbs sixteen eighteen: pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. God, God cleanses his leadership because he cares for his people. This leader has led Israel down a wrong path, and so God removed once again another king, and he's opened the door for the next one. And the next one is as we enter into chapter 26. This would be the reign of King Uzziah. We come upon this new king in Judah, the son of Amaziah. His name, his given name, is Azariah. So just to clear up confusion, because in 2 Kings chapter uh, 14, Uzziah is referred to Azariah. Azariah was the king's given name, which means Yahweh has helped. Uzziah is his throne name, which means Yahweh is strength. So you'll see the same man by two different names. And so I believe Uzziah was because of the long term of how he reigned and his trust in God for so many years that God established him and God solidified him. And so in our lives, again, it boils down to the lifetimes of decisions that we make. Are you willing to make the decisions for your life based upon the word of God? If you do, God will establish you and God will strengthen you. 
but we see the failure of so many that didn't as they veered off from God's word, as they were disobedient to what God has commanded of them, they failed. And so we looked at a small picture of this king about four years ago in our study of the book of Isaiah. Uzziah is mentioned there in verse 1 of chapter 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And so that was during, well, obviously at the end of Uzziah's reign, in Isaiah, God was doing a work. And we're going to look at that in a little bit, but before we do, chapter 26, verses 1 through 5. Now all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Elath and restored it to Judah after the king rested with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years. That's why he's described as Yahweh is my strength. So he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jechaliah of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. And so this is a guy who did what was right in the sight of God. He's a good king, and God gave him good long life. Why? Because he did well for the people. And he rightly represented God to these people, and so God blessed him. But you see a little hint in how things are going to end when it says that as long as he sought the Lord God, God made him prosper. As long as he did that, well, he didn't do it perfectly. It was some 750 years before the birth of the Lord that this 16-year-old young man ascended to the throne of Judah. Uzziah was one of those kings described as doing what was right, and he reigned 52 years under the rule, under, well, under his rule, Judah prospered. He possessed a very good balance of administrating the country and conducting war. And what we see here in verses 6 through to verse 15 is the victories that he achieved. He was a man who was mechanically able and the war inventions that he was able to do. And again, what you just see contained in there is how God blessed the decisions that he made and the nation as a whole as he sought after him and he governed accordingly. So Uzziah seemed, at least to this point, to be as about as good as a king can get. But then in one day... One day, 52 years of success was destroyed in a moment of pride. Again, the king, the king had to write out the book of law. So he's culpable for his actions. He understood what the desires and the will of God is. And then he has this moment of pride that is going to bring it all come crashing down, cause it to all come crashing down. Look at verse 16. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up. He, he was brought to this place of pride, or at least he allowed him to go to this place of pride. It's something that all of us have to deal with, especially when the Lord is blessing us and we forget who is the source of these good things. Who is the source of the blessings in our lives? Once we start thinking it is us, we've gotten off course. But when he was strong, his heart was lifted up to his destruction, for he transgressed against the Lord his God. That's a willful sin. That's knowing something is sin and then committing it anyway. He transgressed against the Lord his God by entering the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. So Azariah the priest went in after him, and with him there were 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. And they withstood King Uzziah and said to him, Is it not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense? Get out of the sanctuary, for you have trespassed. You shall have no honor from the Lord God. And the thing about these priests are they have a greater fear of God, greater respect of God than they do of king and obviously of any man. Verse 19, Then Uzziah became furious, and he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and while he was angry with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priests and the house of the Lord beside the incense altar. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him there on his forehead. He was leprous, so they thrust him out of that place. Indeed, he also hurried to get out because the Lord had struck him. King Uzziah was a leper until the day of his death. 
He dwelt in an isolated house because he was a leper, for he was cut off from the house of the Lord. Then Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. So more than likely, Uzziah continued to be king and make decisions, but more than likely ruled through Jotham while he was still alive. Now, leprosy in the Bible, it's an outward sign of a sinning heart. King Uzziah, well, King Uzziah, he he went in to the temple, a place that a king was not to be. If it wasn't that this, it wasn't that this man was ignorant, the problem with him is that he was arrogant. He became full of himself, and for some reason, he just made the decision to enter into a place where God had commanded only a priest was to go. The problem, a king was not to do the duty of a priest. God's got a plan for both of the offices. He's got a plan for the office of king, and he's got a plan for the office of priest. And where were they fulfilled? They were fulfilled in the king of kings and the Lord of lords. They were fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the great high priest. And so we're told in Revelation 19.16, and he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, seeing that when we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast for our confession. But this is, an, this is also a place that God has reserved for us as well. We're told in Revelation chapter 1, verse 6, and has made us, Christ has made us kings and priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But the bottom line is, the fact of the matter, Uzziah knew that he was not to do that, and he took upon himself to do something that was contrary to God, and God judged him. We do have a need of good earthly rulers, but there's a trap there. We so easily place them on a pedestal. And I would imagine Uzziah was placed on a pedestal as Israel was prospering during his reign. We as Americans, when it comes to election time, what do we do? We're going to elect the person that promises to bring us peace and prosperity and protection. And we believe that this one person, president, that we elect into office is going to be able to achieve that. We'll give them even up to eight years. But what happens? Nobody's ever really been able to do that. And sooner or later, when we come to that realization, we're of the mindset to throw him out and bring the next person in. And unfortunately, our, our nation has gotten further and further away from the Lord and more and more dependent upon man, and we see the situations that we are in even today. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles over to Isaiah chapter 6, and we're going to finish our study there, at least the majority of it. Just to look at this young man, Isaiah. Isaiah, we've seen, is the, he's a prophet, but he's also the court historian. He's there and he's documenting the things that go on during the reigns of these kings. And one of the kings that he had the opportunity was King Uzziah. And as you're the court historian, you're in the presence of the king when he's making his decisions, when he does the things that he does. Now, Isaiah doesn't bring up this particular situation as far as the leprosy and all, but I would imagine he developed a pretty good relationship with the king. Now, God wants to do a work through Isaiah. Matter of fact, in Isaiah, we have one of the richest books of the Bible that prophesy the coming of Messiah. And so the Lord wants to use him not so much for physical protection, but spiritual restoration. God wants to do a work amongst his people. But there's great change that is necessary first in Isaiah's life. And so, first of all, God has to take away that which Isaiah is dependent upon for the purpose of ministering to him and using him. And so it starts off in chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died. Now, I believe that there's two reasons why he refers to that. First, it would mark it on the calendar. But second, it would also mark it on the calendar of his life. Because Isaiah, Isaiah depended upon his relationship with the king. He could be bold and he could speak freely. When the king's your friend, there's great protection there. And so Isaiah, Isaiah has been used by God, but he's become a little bit arrogant himself. 
Previously, in chapter 5, Isaiah, he proclaimed seven woes against Israel, warning Israel of the judgment to come. But the most cutting of all of the woes that he proclaims is yet to come. It's going to be in verse 5, because that woe is going to be, woe is me. So what he was doing, again, he's the court historian, he's a friend of the king, and that gives you great privilege, and it's easy to wag the finger. We can be so self-righteous. What is self-righteous? A self-righteous person attempts to sit on the throne of God alongside of God. But there's nobody here who is able to do that. There's nobody alive who's able to do that. And so he was boldly pointing the finger at everybody else. But God, God is going to call him, but first he must cleanse him. He's going to employ him, but first Isaiah, Isaiah must see the Lord to come to an understanding of the magnitude of God and also how humble he is to be in the sight of God. And so Isaiah, Isaiah must die but to himself. But first, King Uzziah must die. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Uzziah, what is your Uzziah? What can be somebody's Uzziah that God will take away for the purpose of us understanding that it's not really Uzziah upon the throne that ministers to us, but it's God who is seated in heaven upon the throne. Our Uzziahs today could be a job. They could be our health or some ability. could be a savings account or a relationship. But what happens when God takes those things away from our lives? Whatever it is that you depend upon apart from God in this life, well, for Isaiah, that was King Uzziah. But he's saying, I've heard from God, and I proclaim those woes and all of those things, but it wasn't until the year that King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. And so, sounds like, for Isaiah, his vision of God and who God is and the position of God was clouded by this king and his relationship with the king. And so God had made the determination to remove the king. And he says, I saw the Lord. And then he came to this realization that God, it says first here, he's seated on the throne. That God is in that place of authority. And it's what the past king should have known and understand. As God is seated upon that throne, he's completely able to move in our lives. He, he's completely able to interact in all the situations and circumstances of our life. This is the, when God is seated upon the throne, what we're being told, God is seated upon that place that he's able to control all things that go on. That's why we're able to believe when Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, all things are working together for the good. And I've said it so many times, God is in the details. He's in the little things because he's Lord God of all the universe. And nothing happens apart from the knowledge of God. If anything happens apart from the knowledge of God, then all things aren't working together for the good. Only some things are, and it's the other things that you need to be concerned about. But that's not what the Bible says. It says that God's on the throne, so we know that he's in all things. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated or sitting on the throne, high and lifted up. He saw the might of God and the power of God. The might of God and the power of God is important to understand that we know that our God is able. He's able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. Whatever is going on in your life today, God is able to move in that situation. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. What he's seeing here is the train of his robe is the majesty and the glory of God. He's seeing the perfection of God. He's seeing the sinless nature of God. And he's seeing this glory. And the glory speaks just of the presence of God in that place. And he's consumed by it. Matter of fact, even the angels are, verse 2. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy could be a reference to the triune nature of God, but I think holy, holy, holy is a reference to the magnitude of the purity of God. God is perfectly pure to the highest degree. Verse 4, And the post of the doors were shaken by the voice of him who cried out, and the house was filled with smoke. So I said, now remember, in the previous chapter, he was proclaiming woes against all those other sinners, but now... 
in verse 5, so I said, woe is me. And that's the most important woe that anybody could come to. Woe is me, that's a warning of coming judgment. And so he was warning the people of coming judgment, but now he's realizing he's just as guilty as everybody else. Maybe even worse, because apparently pride had entered into the situation. Woe is me, for I am undone. As I stand before God, I'm transparent before the Lord. I see his majesty, I see his holiness, I see the perfection of God. But what does that, in fact, reveal to myself? It reveals my sinful nature. And so, apparently, he was put together. He would hold it in. Most people who are judgmental, most people who are self-righteous, you don't hear much about their sins. They're always proclaiming everybody else's. But now here, woe is me, for I'm undone. I've been taken apart, I've been revealed for who I am. Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I had no right to be proclaiming these woes because I haven't listened to them first myself. He says, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. When our eyes see the King, or the Lord of hosts, well, really you have two options. You can fall into despair, great depression, or you can turn to God. And those who turn to God will not be denied. Those who turn to God would not, would not fail, but those who turn to God would be strengthened to him. It says in verse 6, Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having his hand in his hand a live coal, which he had taken from the tongs of the fire. Fire purifies. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin is purged. Now, when God wants us, he wants the totality of who we are. So don't get me wrong on that. But what was God wanting Isaiah? He was wanting Isaiah to speak his word. But his problem is his lips were impure. He realized that because it was coming from an impure heart. But now what he has done is he has repented before God. And the outward expression of that repentance is these lips that have been purified for now to speak the words of God. This should be the prayer of any minister regardless pastor or whoever that desires to share God's word, anybody that desires to worship the Lord, Lord, that you would purify my lips. And again, that's not just an outward expression of, of your heart, but it comes from an inward expression of your heart. God, make the things that I say or sing, whatever it might be, make them pure in your sight that I would be able to be used by you. Again, verse 7, he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your iniquity is taken away and your sin purged. Verse 8, now God is able to approach him. Also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. That term in the original language, the idea is, Here I am, such as I am, send me. He has a desire to serve the Lord, although he knows he's not worthy to serve the Lord. But he does understand that God has purified him for his purpose. Now he is able to go out with a contrite spirit and a pure heart and do the Lord's work. Because, yeah, there's people out there perishing and they're going to hell. There's no doubt about that. But how is it that we leave this place? Is it a, with a spirit of condemnation? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And as those who are out there apart from Christ, they're going to come before God and be condemned. But how did Christ approach mankind? In a spirit of love. Now, we need to approach others in a spirit of love because Christ has first loved us. To understand that I've been purified by the love of God for the purpose of expressing God's word to this dying nation. So those are the things that have gone on during King Uzziah's reign. Again, so many years of doing so well, but no man is perfect, and he failed at the end. And then in verse 22, good king who left some things undone. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah from first to last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, wrote, So Uzziah rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the field of burial, which belonged to the king's. For they said, he is a leper. Then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. That's what we're looking at. We're looking at generation after generation after generation after generation. And we see some of these generations have been defined that he did what was right in the sight of God, although he wasn't a perfect person. Other generations, he did evil in the Lord's sight. 
And the thing about it is, our relationship with the Lord ultimately is going to be that which defines our lifetime. It's going to be that which, it, it may not start off so well, but Lord, enable me, and that was Paul's prayer as we saw at the beginning, enable me to finish well. And this is going to be based upon the decisions that we all make, the, the choices and decisions that we make, whether they're of the Lord based upon God's word, that I would have faith and trust in you, Lord, or they're going to be based upon my abilities or my understanding, and that's never really done anything good for me or anybody else. And so King Uzziah, Lord, as far as these examples, when those who followed your will prospered, make me like them. Lord, as far as those who failed in their lives, may I see that example and desire, Lord, to have none of it mentioned in my life. Lord, may I be like the prophet Isaiah, not pre-chapter 6, but post-chapter 6, to understand that I'm nothing but a sinner and a failure apart from you. But God, it's common people that you use. Who will go for me? Who shall we send? And Father, I just pray that we would have that attitude. Here I am, such as I am, but send me, Lord. Send me that you'd be glorified. Father, once again, we just thank you for your word, your word that leads us and guides us in so many different areas and so many different ways. And Lord, it's important for us to see the failures, even of these good people, because, Lord, all men have fallen short of your glory. All have failed at some point in their lives, before Christ and after Christ, and it's only by your grace, Lord, that we're able to prevail. And so, Father, I just pray that we would see just the necessity of repenting when we need to repent, but, Father, to always move forward, because, Lord, it's, it's cleansed sinners who you use. And so, Father, I pray that we would once again be of that mindset, here we are, such as we are, use us. Lord, I pray for those who have come out tonight. I pray that you would go before them. I pray that you would bless them as they go about their weeks. And I pray, Father, that we would glorify you through all that we do, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you all stand, please? As I've mentioned this morning, and it's in the bulletin, our teacher training is going to be on the 30th. That is going to be a Saturday. If you're interested in children's ministry, it would be a good time to come out and see what children's ministry is all about. If you're currently teaching, we require that you would be there, that we would be well prepared to give an answer for the hope that resides within our children. Also, I'm going to have a question and answer service. I don't know if it's going to be in the night or the morning. Haven't gotten too many questions. So if you have any questions, biblical questions, that you always want answered, rip off the back page of the bulletin, write it on there, and just put it in the copy box. You don't have to put your name on it or anything. And um, if I get enough, then we'll have a service for that. And then lastly, we got some news from um, Arizona. Um, Ann Lett, a woman who served here for many years, is not doing well at all. Uh, she's going on hospice now, and they're giving her morphine. And so just lift Anne up in prayer. Anne has served here for probably, uh, actually she was serving, I think, up until about a year ago. So like for close to 20 years. And now it looks like she's coming to the point where she'll be headed to her, her, her reward. So pray for her that she finishes well, and pray for her family as well. God bless you guys. Have a great week.
God bless you guys. Have a good week.